Welcome to Culture Eats Strategy. Eats Strategy. With your host, entrepreneur Jamie J. Jamie J. On this podcast, we unpack the most powerful, intangible culture. Culture. Culture is way more than a mission statement or words on a wall. It's how a company behaves. It's what informs every decision, action, and reaction. Culture is the invisible hand, the true north that guides every organization. And if you create a legendary culture, you will build a legendary company. A legendary company. Now, here he is, Jamie J. Jamie J. Welcome back to another episode of Culture Strategy with Jamie J. Yep. That's me. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, excited to have Harrison Monarth on today. We're going to be talking about a bunch of cool stuff around the impact and influence uh, executives can make. And that has a lot to do, uh, executives can make in their environment, and that has a lot to do with what we focus on here, culture. Uh, yes, strategy is very important, but without culture, you've heard me say many times, without having a positive culture in this case, in my opinion, it's really hard to implement against strategy. And that's why I'm really excited to have Harrison here um, who is, is, he's done a couple things in his past to um, really make him a leader. Um, he's a New York Times bestselling author and Guru Maker Inc. executive coach. And he's a leader in the field of developing key leadership competencies, executive presence, effective communication, and leadership influence. He's held senior leadership positions in manufacturing, marketing, and organizational development in Europe and the United States. Um, he and his team of executive coaches work with global leaders at all levels and a range of organizations from Fortune 100 corporations to entrepreneurial high-growth companies. Harrison helps manage, managers and leaders better understand their style and impact on others, broaden their strategic perspective, improve stakeholder relationships, overcome ingrained behavioral patterns, and, and if you know anything about culture, you know it's strongly backed by behavior, which is huge, to reach their goals. He has helped leaders facing a range of challenges such as improving executive presence, stepping into a major senior role, which can be very stressful at times, and having a confident culture and understanding what that is is, is, is greatly helpful in those situations. Uh, developing emotional intelligence, which I'm kind of intrigued about. I'd like to talk to Harrison a little bit more about that. Managing emotions under pressure perfect, engaging others with inspirational leadership, and much more. Uh, Harrison's personally coached leaders from major organizations. Get this. Okay. Procter & Gamble, NASA, Northrop Grumman, PepsiCo, Deloitte Consulting, Hewlett-Packard, Standard & Poor's, GE, Intel, General Motors, IBM, Cisco System, Deutsche Bank, MetLife, and many other leading organizations. He knows his stuff. Um, Harrison's international best-selling book, Executive Presence, The Art of Commanding Respect Like a CEO, was named a top 10 business book in Canada and Austria, and he's getting ready to release the second edition as of the time of this recording. It's not quite out, but when this is live, you will know that his book will be out. Uh, it releases July 5th. So without any further ado, please allow me to welcome Harrison Monarth. How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you, Jamie. It's really nice to be with you. It's fantastic. I, I was very careful in going over your bio there because it's so detailed and easy for me to get tongue twisted. So I hope I, I did it okay for you there. <laughs> you, did, you did it very well. Thank you. 
Well, I'm wondering, I kind of gave the, the, you know, the, the, the snapshot of who Harrison Monarth is. And I wonder if maybe you can tell me a little bit more about what you've been up to. I know you've been writing the book yeah. and uh, having some fun with that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd love to get an idea of where you're at right now. Yeah. So I've been very busy with the work, really kind of the work that you just touched on, um, working with leaders from various companies and, and, you know, I do it internationally. So the thing that I find really interesting and exciting is that this concept, of course, as an, I'm an executive coach. So actually I help leaders become more effective in their roles and their jobs. And then also, you know, with career development, mm. um, very often it's organizations that hire me rather than the leader him or herself. Uh, so it's the organization that hires me and says, hey, we have this leader who, and it could be a number of reasons, you know, but we have this leader who's, who's fantastic and they're doing an amazing job and they're, they're, you know, the future of the company and we would like to help them uh, with some additional skills or with uh, expanding on their leadership repertoire. Uh, or it's a high potential leader or it's somebody who's an emerging leader and that is being groomed for another role. Um, so it's typically the organization that comes uh, to me and, and to the company. Right? We have a team team of uh, eight executive coaches here, psychologists and people with a theater background as well, so a pretty varied background. Oh, wow. And Yeah. And uh, so doing that internationally, and, and the beauty of this is that executive presence, the topic you know we're talking about, is very relevant whether you are in, in the U.S., in Latin America, in Asia, you know, just came back from, I was in Kuala Lumpur in, in Malaysia, did a big workshop for 65 leaders of a company called Petronas, uh, an energy company in Kuala Lumpur. And, you know, they wanted to learn about uh, executive presence, helping their leaders show up with more confidence, building their personal brand, uh, having an impact with people and uh, having influence. And so, Again, I do it. I do that in Latin America. I go quite often. I teach over the summer uh, every year for uh, a week or so in Bogota at a university in Bogota wow. to emerging leaders there. Right. So it's really a topic and a competency, a skill, a set of behaviors. You know that that's important just anywhere. Anywhere in the world, right? It, it looks obviously, and we're talking about culture, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, various Asian cultures, very different, let's say, the, uh, from you know uh, the German culture or from a U.S. culture or from a, you know French culture. So, culture has a huge impact on how you show up, right? In terms of your executive presence, but you know that's pretty. You don't even have to go to another country, uh, Jamie, right? So the culture right. at General Motors is very different from the culture at Google. Yes. So, right? You, it's going to be different. If you're down on Wall Street, that culture is much different than, you know, how to say a tech company or something like very that. Very different, right? And so the behaviors, I mean, from the dress code to what's, what's accepted and what's expected, right, to the way you hold meetings to, I mean, there's so many components of that that, again, you don't have to go from here to, Kuala Lumpur to find cultural differences. You just literally walk into a different door, you know, in midtown Manhattan, and you're finding a completely different culture. So, but that, you know, that's, so that's the thing that you're excited about, I know, and yeah. I'm fascinated by that as well. 
So when you're going around, say, um, are you, when you're addressing the culture or executive presence or emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. um, are you changing the way you're presenting the topic dependent upon the environment you're in? Yes, I, I definitely adapt. I definitely adapt to the culture, to the environment I'm in. And in fact, I have to adapt it also to the, to the leadership level I'm talking to. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm speaking more to emerging leaders, to sort of young up-and-coming managers and leaders. Uh, that's a slightly different angle that I have uh, than if I were speaking to very senior level management. You know, I work from the director level up all the way to the CEO level. You know, I've worked with over 60 Fortune 500 CEOs personally. And then, of course, thousands of senior leaders globally, right? And various, various uh, levels of leadership. So, yeah, you always have to adapt. And in terms of what's important to them, uh, what are the challenges that they're facing, who are they, who do they need to influence, right? Mm-hmm. And that, of course, dictates how I talk about it, what I make salient, what I emphasize, you know, what I find perhaps a little less important. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, it, it impacts what I, what I, how I talk about it. So, boy, I could go in a million different directions. Questions are just flowing right now, so I have to be very careful in, in, in going about this. Uh, I, I definitely want to respect your time, because I could talk to you for a long time on these topics based on your experience. I could too. The, the, the first thing, though, before you go and speak to somebody, and, and the reason I'm, I'm asking this is because this is telling me your culture, like for you, what you believe uh, or what your behavior is. So mm-hmm. what kind of preparation do you need to take on before you go and talk to improving executive presence or stepping into a more senior role? Yes. I ask a lot of questions. Mm. So I ask a lot of questions uh, of the people that I'm interacting with and, of course, about their culture, about what's important. You know, what, what are the behaviors that are required? What are the different sort of, what are the expectations at the, at the various leadership levels? You know, and I ask, you know, what do you want these people to take away from a workshop? What do you want them to learn? What are the takeaways? Because I'm, I believe in, you know, if you're doing a workshop, if you're coaching someone, it has to be applicable. It can't just, it can't be theory. It can't be something that's perhaps interesting to hear and nice to know. But no, it's got to be something you can use right away Eat and yeah. have an impact, right? And have an impact. Yes. I ask a lot of questions. I'm like, what's, you know, I ask, so which behaviors are required? Which, what is expected? You know, what is, what is rewarded? What's punished? You know, um, how do people, how people show up? So I make sure that I have a very, very good grasp of how their culture functions, basically. Mm. And I myself, I mean, I'm not... Uh, originally from the U.S., I was born and raised in Germany, and uh, I left Germany, went to Austria, and then worked in Austria for a bit, and then came over to the U.S., but since then, I've I've worked with so many different cultures, I can't even tell mm-hmm. you, I mean, how cultures, so I'm able to adapt pretty well to various right. cultures, and my clients have said this uh, on, a, on a number of occasions, that I adapt extremely well to different age groups, leadership levels, cultural backgrounds, genders, because I fully believe that you have to take the, you have to take the whole person, their system, their environment into account in order to help them. There is no one size fits all. 
when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know? And, and again, this is what you're talking about when you're talking about culture, you know? What are, okay, so I listed out several bullet points there that, uh, that you help organizations with. Yeah. Um, one of them particularly that I'm interested in hearing you talk about is developing emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, let me back up real quick before yeah. I ask the question. When you first approach an organization, I've heard this happens quite a bit. The CEO believes the culture to be one way. And then other C-level executives believe it to be something else, or they believe there may be a, a similar goal, but you ask them what that goal is, and it's explained completely differently. Um, do you find that that happens often, or not really? Yes, I do. Unfortunately, it does happen often, and that's there's a, so there's a there's a misalignment of values. Mm. When the CEO, I mean, it was interesting the way you just put that. When the CEO thinks that the culture is one way and others below the CEO think, you know, see it a different way. Well, so that's a major blind spot for a CEO because as the CEO, you set the culture. You know, what you do, what you, what, how you behave, how you communicate, what you don't communicate, people are taking their cues from you. Yeah, right? people are acting. They're looking to their leaders to see what. Okay, how do we need to act around here? What do we need to do? What's what gets us praise? What gets us, uh, you know, what 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 gets you uh, what gets you yelled at or uh, what gets you resources? What doesn't? Yeah. So a CEO that thinks the culture is one way, um, and then others believe it's a different way. One of the biggest, one of the biggest. Uh, or I should say what's at the root of this is the a gap between intention and impact. Mm, so a CEO might have the best intentions uh, and say, you know, I want to have a culture where everybody is free to, you know, feel safe, to ask for feedback and to give feedback to each other, right? I want that. And then, but if that CEO turns around, and uh, if somebody asks the CEO, hey, boss, how am I doing? You know, um, you know, I've been working for a while on this thing, and I don't really know how I'm doing. No, you're doing a great job. Just keep, keep going. Keep doing that, right? Well, that's not feedback, right? Or uh, if the CEO uh, is uh, – I mean, a feedback is such a topic. I could, we could have a, a, a massive session just on, on feedback alone, you know. But, but cultures that are hostile where, where, that are just not – open with feedback, people don't give feedback freely or they're, afraid. they're afraid maybe. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. So but so the intention is, yeah, yeah, no, we want to give feedback. Feedback is important. Feedback is critical. I've never heard anybody say in a leadership position that feedback is not important. And yet the way they're acting and how they're reacting to others, um, intimidating them or sugarcoating things so much that it has absolutely no impact, you know, in a mm. positive direction. Or again, not not being free, you know, free in terms of giving feedback. So, intention and impact—it's huge. And so, how do you how do you get that? How do you know whether your intention and impact, you know, are are aligned? Well, you have to have self-awareness, and that's the thing that you had just touched on with emotional intelligence. One of the, to me, foundational qualities of emotional intelligence is having self-awareness. 
you know, having self-awareness. And, Tell and me what that means to you. What is like self-aware? Like yeah. if you're having self-awareness, what, yeah. what is that? Absolutely. So if I'm, if I'm walking into a meeting and I am, I don't know, something just ticked me off on the way to work. Right. And I, and I'm still sort of carrying that with me a little bit. I have still some of these residual emotions where I'm, I'm ticked off and I don't have the self-awareness that this actually impacts now how I'm dealing with people. I'm a little bit more sharp, a little bit more curt, and uh, a little less patient with somebody asking a question that may, I, maybe I think it's a stupid question, right? And I'm impacting how other people now behave around me. They're more mm-hmm. careful. They're afraid to bring up bad news. Maybe they're like, eh, let's not bring that up because he's not having a good, a good day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so understanding how you come across to other people, the impact you have is, you know, is part of self-awareness. Again, how do you, how do you come across, how do people perceive you so that again, your intentions and your impact are as closely aligned as possible. So if, if I can really drill down on something, say, say you had a bad morning, yeah. <laughs> something happened, uh, you, you, you spilled your milk on the, you know, and all over yourself. You had to get all new clothes. You spilled a cup of coffee on your, right. your freshly pressed white shirt. Yes. What are some uh, exercises uh, a good leader um, developing emotional intelligence and, and becoming self-aware? What are some exercises that one can do in order to kind of, okay, I just need to get rid of that right now and focus on the matter at hand. Uh, yep. Let's do this. You just answered your own question. Uh, that's one of the that's one of the ways. Is listen, that happened. It's no big deal. So what? I just spilled stuff on myself. That happens. Let's move on and focus on more important things. Right. That is absolutely one way to just see something insignificant as that as for what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one strategy is to just to put it in the proper perspective is what you just did. Right. Uh, uh, being intentional about that. I love the fact you brought it intentional before you go, you got to be intentional and you have a good mind switch gears almost. Right. Exactly. And, and see, this is the other thing. So we talked about emotional intelligence being about self-awareness. The other thing, I mean, another big part of emotional intelligence is of course, being able to regulate your emotions. Mm. I I feel myself getting super worked up about spilled milk, (laughs) as you put it. Right. Uh, Or somebody cutting me off in traffic. I need to have the self-awareness to, to say, listen, this is not going to help me in my next meeting because if I bring these emotions into the meeting, it's going to impact the way the meeting is going. Or if I feel put on the spot because one of my peers is now bringing something up that I wanted to bring up in the meeting, right? And that was my idea. Well, I can't really get super emotional about it and lash out at that person in front of the meeting because then everybody will think I'm a hothead and I have no control of myself, right? So... Being able to manage yourself in those in those situations is critical. Calm under pressure. Calm when the heat is on, right? And really, those are and you, it's not just because you come ac- of the way you come across. Mm. It's actually being able to regulate your emotions so that you can think more clearly. Just think about it. When our limbic system is aroused, when we are either you know aroused in any way, meaning like super happy about something, super excited, or angry or afraid, right? All those things that are basically um, putting our limbic system into overdrive and, and what Daniel Goleman calls the amygdala hijack, right? Just when the, when the emotions are so strong that 
it basically impacts our executive functioning, right? Impairing our short-term memory and our reasoning, our our um, creative insight, our our problem solving, our analytic thinking. Yeah, you become you you become completely ineffectual. You're just a, a bundle of emotions, and you can't think straight, and you can't make good decisions based on that. What you can do very well at that point is fight or run away, right? Fight or fight. That's what, that's what it's designed for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I really, I, I love, because, um, oh man, who was I talking to? I cannot remember, but he started talking about that. And it's, the, this, one of my words for the, or my word for this year is listen. Listen intently and soulfully to engage notably. Mm -hmm. That is very important to me because I found myself speaking out a lot last year, at mm -hmm. times raising my voice because I felt I wasn't being heard. Mm. That is the worst thing, in my opinion, that can happen as a leader in some kind of a controlled environment with staff or your team or your management, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of goes towards, because sometimes you get a little angry. Yeah. Because, you know, at least in my opinion, I can't speak for other people. For me, sometimes I found myself getting a little angry because something didn't go the way I wanted it to or right. something happened. And I've learned to... As soon as I start feeling that <laughs> little thing, man, I take a breath and I just kind of sit and I let the silence speak for itself. And that is hard to do sometimes. But you have to sort of step outside of yourself, right? So you have to take sort of a zoom out and, and realize what's happening inside of you, that you are getting angry. And then oh. maybe label, you know, label that emotion. Say, okay, because uh, I just feel like we're not making progress here. People are stalling and therefore... So I'm feeling angry. And as neuroscience research shows us, just by labeling that emotion, like by, you know, identifying all yeah. that and, and, and being aware of what's happening, the heat is actually, you're lowering that heat in your limbic system. You're, you're, you're cooling down the emotion, which again allows you to engage more reasonably and, uh, and, and not, you know, put people in a, in a state of fear and in a, in a, in a threat state. Because... That's the other thing that leaders very often are unaware of is when you are in a leadership position, when you have influence over people and when people depend on their, you know, on you for their paycheck and for promotions and God knows what else you're, you're, you're whispering can sound like shouting to somebody else. Right. Oh, and absolutely can have a tremendous impact. So everything is magnified when you're in a leadership position. So people have to be, again, this is where that self-awareness comes in. Mm. Right. Have to be aware yeah. of that. I love that. I love that. One of the biggest things that I, I, one of the things I loved most about what you said when you first started talking, when I asked what it, you know, some of the things that you do, you said the first thing you do is ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, asking questions when you may be approaching a state like this kind of might help you set off, you know, kind of turn that down as well, and maybe right. be in a, something that you can identify, like, hey, this is happening right now. Ask a question. Give yourself a little time to breathe. Absolutely. And, and there are different strategies that you can use. Right? Regular, in fact, in my book, uh, I have an entire chapter on emotion regulation strategies so that you can oh. stay cool under pressure, so that you can make better decision, uh, decisions under pressure. Because that is so important that you cannot have a positive executive presence if you're not able to regulate your emotions in those high pressure situations, right? When you're angry, when you're afraid, when you're, you know, nervous, 
you name it. You have to be able to regulate your emotions. I appreciate that. I want to shift gears if I can. And, yeah. and this is more, uh, this is probably selfish. Uh, everybody knows I'm transparent. Uh, if you know me, um, uh, some of my friends call me the, the, the nicest guy in podcasting. Um, I love our hashtag leading with kindness, yeah. uh, but it could be a detriment. Um, and as pointed out by my wonderful COO, uh, Anthony Wallaver, uh, he, he reminds me from time to time that, you know, I'm, I'm a little too nice, um, where maybe I, I don't make a decision or, or I'm maybe suggesting rather than leading. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that can be, um, confusing to staff. I wonder, can you elaborate on that at all about maybe being tiptoeing around or like you said earlier, something like, Oh yeah, you're doing great. Keep going. That's not criticism. That doesn't give anybody any assistance. I think you're actually doing a disservice and, and I find myself in that position. Right. I mean, you can definitely be too nice, right? I think kindness is great. I, I and you know, to me, kindness is not being too nice. Kindness is about, you know, looking out for others and, and respecting their, you know, them as human beings, right? So being, being, I, I love kind people. Kindness is great. Uh, but can you be too nice where perhaps you need to hold people accountable? Mm. You kind of, you know, shirk away from that because you Either you don't like conflict, or you don't want to hurt people's feelings, and you feel like, you know, they're otherwise doing really well, but this might actually throw them off, or, uh, you know, because, yeah, you need to show both warmth and strength. I think you need to show both warmth and strength, right? So you need to be able to show your, show that you care about people, that you can be trusted, that you have great intentions, and then but you also need to show strength, and strength is everything from competence to credibility to the ability to make tough decisions, right? That's why you need leaders, right? Yeah. I mean, the higher up you go, the more unpopular, you know, you will become because you're going to be ticking off so many stakeholders, right? In fact, the mo most of the CEOs, they're not making, the best they can often do is trying to make, make everybody a little less unhappy, you know, yeah. because customers <laughs> want something different from uh, the board of directors, you know, and investors want something different from employees. Uh, uh, than employees. And so you have all these different stakeholder groups you have to satisfy, right? Uh, the media. Um, so you have to be very good at, at, um, at making decisions, making tough decisions that are unpopular. And at the same time, try to give people as much as you can what they need and, and what they want. But you're not going to be able to give everybody everything they want. Yeah. And how do you what are some strategies to mitigate against that? Like how, so I have to accept, yes, I'm not, uh, you know, I have some clients that were not happy with me. I have clients that are extremely happy with me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I always seem to let the clients that are not happy with me creep in and like makes me feel bad and like not a good leader. And, and I, 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 I see that happen a lot, not just in me, but with other leaders Mm -hmm. And it, they all seem to focus on the negative more than the positive. I think that's very human, Jamie. Mm. You know, that's very human. I mean, I listen, if I get, if I get a hundred five star reviews and I get one, one star review, that's the one I focus in on. 
you know, that's the one that bothers me. I'm like, how is it possible that, you know, I could not reach that person or that, that, you know, person felt this way or that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did I miss the boat on that? But I, we, of course, the negative gets our attention. You know, yeah. the negative gets our attention. Because why? Because it's a threat. It's a threat to our status. It's a threat to our ego. It's potentially a threat to our, I don't know, livelihood, you know. So mm-hmm. the negative, we are, I think as a species, we are just, we have a negativity bias. When I say I think, I know because that research has shown that. We have that negative. Now, but the, the key is to not let that influence you to a point where, again, you try to be all things to all people. Gotcha. Gotcha. You can't be a people pleaser because I've worked with people, I've worked with executives that were considered, in fact, CEOs that were considered people pleasers that were not decisive enough, that the last person in their ear was able to then sway, you know, sway them back to the decision-making table when a decision had already been made and everybody else thought, okay, we're already going down one path. Now another person comes in and says, well, I think we should rethink that. And that CEO goes, okay. All right, yeah, you got a point, and goes back to the, and everybody else is confused, and everybody is yeah, frustrated, yeah. wasting their yeah. time, and so leaders need to be very decisive. They need to be able to make decisions, even if they don't have all of the information. And you know, research has shown that people that waver, or that wait too long before deciding, CEOs actually that wait too long before deciding, are far less effective or far less successful than their peers that make decisions even if they only have 65, 75, 80% of the information, but they make the call. And even if the decision turns out to be wrong, by the way, so if that decision turns out to be wrong, but can later be corrected, those people are still evaluated more favorably than the ones that have just waited a little too long with oh, decision wow. or, you know, or waiver. Wow. I imagine that has a lot to do with uh, communication styles and things like that. And the other thing is maybe in making a decision, as you said earlier, you could label it <laughs> like just, okay, I'm, I'm making this decision. I'm going to label this and I'm going to be good with that and move on from there. If we need to course correct down the road, let's do it. But this is the decision we're making today. And that way everybody's going to test some people off. But right. overall, yeah. I think that's, that's what I'm learning. Right. You're convinced. If you have to be, you know, deciding with speed and conviction. That's mm-hmm. the, uh, that's the speed and conviction. One of the hallmarks of, uh, of effective, successful CEOs. That's fantastic. How do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? If they want to learn more about, uh, yeah, being, absolutely, well, being more impactful, being more influential. I think an easy way would be to go to the website, which is gurumaker.com, gurumaker.com. And um, uh, the, again, the, the book's coming out, right? So I, I feel very, I'm very happy about it. I'm proud of it because it's just distilling a lot of my coaching experiences with very successful people and people that were you know, at risk of derailing over the last 15 years. I've been able to distill all that into the new book. And there are a lot of immediately applicable lessons in that book. So executive presence, the new, the art of commanding respect by a CEO is the subtitle. And uh, yeah, it's out July 5th. I love that. The art of commanding respect like a CEO. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. There's a little bit of marketing behind that. So, you know, I mean, again, some people will wrinkle their nose at that. It's like, well, it's not about commanding. Well, yeah. That's fine, you know? Yeah, I like it. I love it. I love it. Ch- throw a little challenge in there. 
throw a little, what is this? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, oh man, that's great. It's almost like, like a boss. <laughs> <laughs> like a boss, but that would make a good book title. It probably exists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, uh, before we wrap today, what, what's, what's something that you would like for people to know um, that are having maybe cultural challenges or, or things like that besides going out and getting your book, obviously, or, or yeah. going to your website, gurumaker.com. Is, is there something that you can share with them maybe as a takeaway? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think something that might be important. So I work with leaders that they work obviously within a, an organizational culture and the leader is working on either a behavioral change or expanding their effectiveness by learning some new skills. And I've used the analogy before where the leader is working on, let's say himself and making changes, but the culture is pushing back and it's a little bit like I've used the analogy where I said, look, you're doing right now. It's almost like you're doing white laundry in a muddy field, right? You're doing your, you're doing your laundry, you're cleaning up and you're doing all the stuff that's positive, And yet you keep getting sprayed left and right from, you know, cars driving by and the field is muddy and you can't seem to get your, your, your laundry clean. And that can be very demoralizing and make people perhaps go, why am I even doing this? Because I, Everybody else around me is not this way that they, you know, would want me to be. And so what I tell them is, look, you can't be cynical. You can't give up. What you can do is, you know, create a culture within your team. If, if the rest of the organization is not open to feedback, is not feedback friendly, create that within your team. Hmm. It's a commitment to each other that we're going to be giving each other straightforward feedback and frequently so that we constantly know where we, where we are, what we could improve and make that sort of a microculture. And then you start bringing it outside of that. Now you can start maybe, you know, impacting the greater culture around you and spread out like a, I don't know, like a nice virus, like a positive virus, right? And other people get infected by, you know what? I like how you guys are doing this. I think I might do that in my department, you know? I love so, that. Yeah. So I think that's something that don't be discouraged. You can make a difference as a person, as one person, by talking to another person, kind of convincing another person, by convincing yet another person. I mean, gosh, is that how Christianity started? Yeah. Think about I, it. it. So establishing microculture. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I had that. I don't know if we have another minute or so. Oh, but, yeah. I, I had that happen and, you know, uh, I, I'm right now I'm coaching about 65 managers from Kuala Lumpur, from Malaysia, from this, from this company, Petronas, and we're doing laser coaching sessions, you know, over video. And one person said, you know, you, you said feedback is very important and I agree with you, but in our culture, you, it's even frowned upon to give somebody, you know, negative feedback or constructive feedback face to face. You almost, you have to do it through another person actually. And then it, it has to be so tippy toe <laughs> yeah, exactly, that it almost loses impact. And I said, okay, well, why don't you do that in your own team then? Since that is a cultural no, no. Right. But 
and even the word feedback alone gives people goosebumps sometimes and, and, yeah. and makes the hair on, the, on, on their the next stand-up. I said, well, why not just make the commitment to each other? You have a team of six or seven people, and why not say to each other, hey, you want to improve, right? I want to improve, so I'd like to hear what you have to say about what went well here and what I could have done better. And so if you have these sort of just these dialogues, these open and honest dialogues, how, and if you're the manager, ask your team, how do you guys think we should improve? What should we do to get better? Any ideas? And then somebody in that team might say, I don't know, we could just tell each other. Well, that sounds like a great idea. How do we do that? How would we tell each other? Well, when something happens, we could just say it, you know, we'll say it nicely, but we say it, we're honest about it. I think that sounds like a great idea. And I want you to do the same to me, by the way, right? So I want you to tell me as well. All right, you're going to be okay with that? Absolutely. In fact, we should do it on a regular basis, every meeting. So if you have this sort of simple dialogue of let's tell each other and help each other out, well, guess what? Now there's no, not this fear of, um, I got to give you some feedback or expectation. setting expectations, setting expectation. And it's a, it's an, an expected thing where you have this dialogue and guess what? Now you have completely, when I say completely, right? It's a, it's a process, but you have sort of bypassed this. We don't do feedback in this organization or it's frowned upon to do it face to face. Not if you have that agreement with each other. And if you get there by, Hey, I want to get better. Do you want to get better? How can we improve next time? There were some mistakes made. How, yeah. how can we avoid those? You've talked about it. You've got buy-in now. Yeah. So, so that there's, a, there's a way to move forward. Right. I mean, if, even the simple question, if I asked you, Jamie, Jamie, we're going to be working together. How would you like me to give you feedback? And, and how would you like to give me feedback? How do we give each other feedback? I mean, now we can decide. You and I can decide how to do it because neither one of us would probably say, uh, no, please don't tell me anything. I... I don't want to hear anything. It's like a pilot saying, I don't, I don't need any instruments. I think I'm going to end up where I want to end up. Have that dialogue, have that, you know, have that conversation. And this goes to say, now if you get someone even in that micro, I love that, micro culture, now you can start identifying people that maybe don't buy into what it is that you're trying to help with. Yeah. Um, I eat, I dislike using the word help. I think I should come up with a more challenging word that's better, a better descriptor. But there's, there's, there's a way when you look at this, you can start seeing, okay, this person, they're in, they're in, they're in. We can really start getting some things. They're not so much. So maybe let's work on this microculture that you spoke about, right. develop a platform or a system, a process, and right. maybe that person starts, it's like that commercial. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but, uh, but there is a commercial where someone was walking down the street and a lady dropped a, something out of her bag and the guy picked it up and gave it to her and smiled. And then she started walking across the street and a person fell off the bike and she helped up the bike. And it was right. kind of like a ripple effect going yeah. on. Same, same thing. I have seen that. I, absolutely. It's the same thing. And, and this is, by the way, so we talked about CEOs earlier, right, who think the culture is one way and, and people see it a different way. You can't just say this is our culture or, or make one statement about it. And by the way, this is how we're going to do things. You have to constantly reinforce it, model it, demonstrate it, praise it, talk about it, talk, tell stories about it, that stories that illustrate the culture. Yeah. You know, if we want a culture of helping each other, then we have to tell little stories about how Jamie helped Harrison in this 
in, in this project because Harrison was uh, overloaded. And so Jamie actually, you know, jumped in and helped out even though he was completely overloaded himself. So, wow. So when you tell these little stories, they create the culture and these stories will be traveling and somebody else will tell them years after you already left the company, you know? Yeah, there was this guy, Jamie. He really jumped in when, we, when, when it was needed, you know? Yeah. I was uh, interview a previous interview with uh, Diane Gardner and she came up with this little, I don't know if she came up with the idea, but I learned it from her. And she had this thing, uh, gratitude token. Mm. And what was cool about that was they would have their meetings and she wasn't in charge of this, but another employee or staff member could say, you know what? Um, uh, I want to give Harrison a gratitude token because he went over and above on this particular project and it really helped the company out. So I want to give him this token. And then what she would do, un totally unsolicited, right? She, she came up with a program, I guess, or, or learned it from someone else and introduced it into our organization. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing was she would pay an, a, an extra hour for that person, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. so the person that gave the token to the person, yeah. she would give the person that gave that token an extra hour's pay. Yeah. And it was pretty neat. Like, she's like, I don't care how many tokens are given out, you know? <laughs> I mean, you're not going to give 100 of them out or anything. But, I mean, it was just kind of cool because now you have the team working together, recognizing, looking for good things that are happening. I think exactly. that was pretty neat. And you're reinforcing the right behaviors, the right way of communicating, the right way of working. Uh, you're doing that. And uh, it's not enough done. It's not done enough, right? We're so focused on the task and the, and, and the bottom the, line. Bottom line, exactly. That you're missing the very thing that actually drives all this, right? Which is yeah. the behaviors and the, the well-being of, of the people doing the work. Well, I can't thank you enough for doing what you're doing. Um, and I don't know if you hear that a lot, but thank you for doing what you're doing because I, I really feel that there's a place for that, especially with what you're doing and, and how you're impacting so many people at such a high level. Uh, I, I wish everybody could be, I wish, I know there's different cultures. I know Wall Street's yelling and numbers and fingers and all that stuff going on. But I, I really wish people some people just dread going to work, but they gotta have that paycheck. Yeah. And I wish there wasn't for that. Right, right. And it's the number one reason for that, Jamie, is the, the reason why people dread it and why they don't, uh, you know, they're not engaged. And, you know, one, one survey after another every year comes out and talks about the, uh, the high levels of disengagement at work. It's the relationships between managers and employees. That's the number one reason for this lack of engagement at work. That's it. They don't quit a job. Right. They quit a manager. Right. Yep. Very true. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Harrison. I, I really appreciated you stopping by today. Um, yeah, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for the chat. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Hang on one quick second. Okay. Um, uh, this has been a great conversation I've had with Harrison Monarch today. Seriously, uh, Executive Presence, The Art of Commanding Respect Like a CEO, go check it out. Um, he's got the new version just coming out. Um, you go to gurumaker.com. You can learn a lot more about what Harrison and his team are doing there. Um, and please let me know what you thought of this episode. Uh, go on to iTunes and leave me a review. 
leave me a terrible review, but leave me something so I know what I can do to improve. I really want this to be a, a, a podcast that really helps you when you need a place to go to learn about getting out of certain areas and going, I want to introduce you to people like Harrison so you can go talk with them and maybe hire Harrison, bring him on and help you out in the direction that you need. That's the goal here. So uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Culture Eats Strategy with yours truly, Jamie J. Uh, hashtag leading with kindness. We absolutely love it. Uh, if you're finding yourself in a bit of a struggle, uh, you're growing, but you just don't know what to do. Uh, I encourage you to go check out bottleneck.online in full transparency. That is my company. Uh, but virtual assistants are, are, are really, really, really becoming more and more effective in our day and age, especially with the uh, advancements of the interwebs. Uh, uh, virtual assistants can really help you out. So go to bottleneck.online to learn more, and uh, we'll help you stop the bottleneck in your business, which, by the way, is probably you. <laughs> if you're listening to the show. Um, but anyways, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Harrison, again, thank you very much uh, for sharing your wisdom. Sounds great. Nice talking to you. All right. Fantastic. All right. All right.